out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Thank you, Jim. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. And as you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Caroline, Caroline Fock, who I spoke to to find out more about life, love, poetry. And uh, for those who might have wondered, who is she? Well, she was in um, various bands, quite a lot in fact, called A State of Mind, Sleeping Dogs, Trees and Trial. And also she um, was in Child Blossoms as well, as well as a phenomenal solo artist and has an amazing amount of work out there. She has got a very good website, so if you go to carolinefock.com, FOK.com. You'll find out more. But anyway, this is the interview. Um, and after a few minutes of casual chat, we got down to, yes, the subject of her musical development in world, because she goes back to the early 80s. This is Karen in conversation. Yeah, I was pretty much have a evolved history um, that evolved from uh, the, the, the early 80s, um, you know, through the, you know, the modern days of technology. And, you know, I've, I've gone through um, <clears throat> a lot of the scenes and um, was highly influenced by the British bands, by the way. And yes. um, so it was, inter- yeah, it was really interesting. Um, uh, you know, there's certain bands that just stayed bands, but I, I went in bands but I also simultaneously um, was I was doing my own uh, solo for you know for tracking um, just as a teen um, I was pretty much in a vacuum uh, in terms of like so being solo as a female doing my own electronics and stuff um, but so I had sort of multiple simultaneous lives I guess in in the know the music industry um yeah so because i was going to say um because i i sort of i was born in the mid 60s so i'm now in my mid 50s and um so kind of what what was kind of i suppose hugely influential apart from listening to my mum had the radio on so there was a lot of kind of that soft pop stuff which was like the carpenters which i still think that's amazing but it was kind of the glam period of you know that 70s and then i'm i really was too young for punk to be honest, but it was kind of the indie scene of the 80s that that hit me. So what was your early kind of musical kind of formative years? I just wondered what, you know, when you get to that age where you start becoming quite aware of music and and sort of just becoming like, actually, I really like this, regardless of what anybody else thinks and what your parents think. So I just wondered what your moment of where you started thinking, you know, music started to become much more important in your life. Well, I would say that we may run parallel to the time periods there, <laughs> but the, um, you know, in say 1975, I was nine. Um, my father gave me a tape recorder and I used some pop songs or mainly classical as backdrops to kids stories. So I would record my own stories so that, you know, that was a time period. He also gave me, um, a, a, a tape recorder, uh, for, um, you know, doing this, but also he was building a, as a hobby, a drum machine. Right, a hobby was a computer systems analyst. Um, so he was he was kind of protective of his stereo equipment. Um, he was an audiophile, um, and then I, um, in the background, I heard you know, radio at the time. 
uh, as well. I mean, I heard, you know, Bowie's Heroes and, you know, the, the performance with Klaus Nomi. Um, and so when, um, you know, that was kind of really early, you know, visually seeing that on the television or whatever, but also especially the radio. Um, so um, that 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 kind of combination seemed to have, like, Stayed stayed with me in terms of uh, things always becoming stories with music. Yes, because um, so, um, Bowie, because Bowie is probably and luckily, God, it could have been anybody really from that period of the early seventies. Because obviously they were like Sweet and Gary Glitter, and um, you know, and I was thinking this is great. But it was Space Oddity by David Bowie that that was my like, oh, this is incredible. I must buy that single. So. Hurrah! I could have, you know, it, it was such a cool single, and the B side was brilliant. So I just, I just was wondering, what was your kind of first musical kind of, kind of moment where you went, "I'm going to spend money on a single or album"? Well, that probably dated a little bit further. Well, let's see, a little bit further ahead of that. But um, I mean, I was into rock when in the seventies, um, and then um, I mean that that was like the Zeppelin, and you know that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I think I would buy, uh, you know, vinyl from, you know, just your typical rock bands. And thing. But it wasn't until a little bit, like just a few years later, I mean, we're, we were talking, you know, 1975 with, with like this nine-year-old childhood thing with hearing this really raw version of like electronic drum machine or something. But um, I mean, just a few years later, suddenly, um, you know, in like high school or something here, um, in my first band in a uh, high school, you know, they were just playing rock songs or whatever, or they you know, it was just copying other people's stuff. And then I saw, you know, on the, when they were partying <laughs> that I saw, you know, the Cure's, um, uh, album on the three imaginary boys on the table. And then, um, I, I've always bought rock music, but then in terms of starting, starting to, turn the tide with uh, this kind of darker moody um, post-punk stuff. Um, you know, I, I, that was probably one of the first, but I'll, but the, the first real, I, I don't know if you heard of the Dickies. <laughs> yes. Did they do the banana splits? Was that yeah. the Dickies? Back, was... of, back of the Mole Man at night. So the white satin cover. I mean, I think I, you know, seeing them live locally, you know, that sort of got me kind of reminding me of uh, something, you know, closer to punk. But um, and then Rosillo's was one of them. Yes, that was another <laughs> one of those classics that I can remember very well. Is that the one that everyone wants to be on top of the pops, isn't it? That was that single. I... Attack and, you know, yeah, that one album, you know, with, with all those songs on it. Yeah, Flying Saucer Attack and Head Kicked In Tonight, <laughs> that one. Um, and then, of course, The Cure and Banshees and Joy Division. And I, I was just so, I was um, really focused on the, the, you know, the British music um, as a teen. Um, and I believe I have the earliest Cure cover, <laughs> 1981, by the way. Um, it, because, um, you know, we, as as I said, you know, we we're doing band, band practice. We we're co copying bands or whatever, but... Um, Cure was one of them. It happened to be um, 17 Seconds. Um, so I have a couple of those. Some right. of the bench. So that, that's kind of fun. But it's interesting because it was kind of, I mean, 
I suppose when I was growing up, you know, apart from what I was kind of consuming on top of the pops and stuff, I had an older brother who was seven years older and he was seriously into the world that was prog rock or probably still is actually. So I so I would sneak into his room and listen to his kind of records, which he had said, don't whatever you do, come into my room and listen to my records. Don't touch them. Don't even look at them. So I was into, you know, so I got into Yes and Genesis and Wishbone Ash and Barkley James Harvest because it was just kind of curiosity that got me there. But when punk came along, A, I was too young, but also he, you know, that was like a big no-no, you know, punk music stuff. So he didn't, you know, he didn't go in for that at all. And then I, it was probably the early 80s and what you were slightly mentioning there, I think, was that world that was indie pop. And I was getting to that age where I started thinking, God, this is just great music. And I remember when listening to the John Peel show, which was a kind of huge influence, and him playing Play for the Day by The Cure and being really mesmerized by it, thinking, God, that's just a great song. But it was quite interesting. And I think that was that was my love of indie pop from that period. It's the energy. I mean, it's it's a different. Uh, it's that's you know. There's a, obviously there was just um, a lot of bands that came from that period. That's um, you know, it in a way it's transition from band to you know involving a little bit more electronic, um, you know, in it, and that kind of set it apart slightly. And I was also really obsessed with the uh, Cabaret Voltaire as in the early like 1982 or something. It was um, Here She Comes, that single. Yes. Uh, finding that in the record store and, and the Voice of America, I think that really did it for me. Um, and that really kind of ch- allowed my sound to just, you can do any sound. But at the same time, um, I, again, I was in a vacuum because, you know, we're, you know, I'm in America, but, you know, in the suburbs and here I'm just relying on import albums. And um, so, you know, that was really an interesting change for me that, you know, even though, um, I mean, prior to even these bands, um, again, I was, um, you know, I discovered um, a lot of instruments in the living room for example, um, because my my father would just like leave him there (laughs) and um, no reason, (laughs) but you know, he knew, he knew I liked guitar. So then he started leaving everything. Um, And I I think it was just, um, uh, I don't know, it was funny, but anyway, I discovered his four track. Um, But, you know, I was trying to record tape recorders to tape recorders to try to do the same thing as a four track. So, but when I finally discovered his, I wondered if it was what it was. And so I would just start plugging things together and, and then, and then my sound be, basically became so many. It almost not just I was trying to be a band in on my own band on the reels, but but also like I didn't know really um, how to you know what the laws were yes. for recording. So so you, you, it was so over. It was almost like you know um, you know, 24 track or whatever and squeezed into four. And I would just, I I didn't like cutting tape, you know, like ruining the tape. So it would just like stop, click, stop. And then you could hear it, you know, and, and, and it, it just became this unorthodox way of recording. And so I would use even things like, I, I didn't have a mixer, so I would use like a microphone and just change the direction just to get the EQ in different parts of the room. So, um, and then I would um, just da- daisy chain 
uh, different like echoplex with an analog delay. My father made an analog delay that I found. I, you know, he never said here here it is. So I would just like daisy chain and and just um, there's no no reason for it. I and then at the at the time we we had amps. Yes. <laughs> we didn't. I mean that that's the way you heard stuff. So um, and then you know. Th- so the, I mean, the living room was full of instruments. You know, Rhodes keyboards to drum, drum sets, and saxophone, violin. You know, whatever. And um, and so sound was just uh, it was just you know music was just to me um, fun to to try to copy at the time or like utilize. But it was actually. I was doing all these like weird sounds, but um, that made them into songs, I guess. Um, but I would simultaneously be in like bands that happened to be, you know, I, I fell into a crowd that evolved into like a punk scene. Or yes. peace punk. Um, so, um, you know, uh, it, it, it just evolved. I mean, there was, t- of, of course, a time period, you know, my first, uh, EP or whatever was um, Charred Blossoms. And um, that was kind of, I think that was distributed through Rough, right? It was distributed through Rough Trade. Um, at the time I was in a band that like, they were really connected to the Rough Trade in England. Um, and uh, I don't know if you knew John Rober, but he- No, I did um, Anyway, so I was kind of connected to the English side. Yes, of- because cause was your first band then, just to get the chronolog- chronol- chronology on this, he says. Um, was that a state of mind? Was that your first kind of musical combo or was that, you know, not the first? Because that was the kind of early 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, that I think they started putting out albums, but the band before that was Treason. And it's interesting when I, um, it just, it's interesting how, how I, you know, it was a certain crowd that, you know, everyone played in each other's bands or sometimes or, or we would, we would be um, uh, uh, on the same bill together a lot because it became peace punk. And um, so it was treason first and that was, um, and we played shows together. And then I, then I joined a state of mind um, and they, I guess they did a single with Chumbawamba. Yes. I, I, I sort of saw that and I was thinking, my God, cause I've done a few interviews with um, a couple of different members from Chumbawamba and in the, that early 80s period, because in the UK, there was a lot of unemployment. So people were, you know, claiming benefit and all that kind of malarkey and and forming bands. That was kind of a, you know, it's a bit of a simplistic way to put it. But because of that, you know, we just had the the Falkland thing, uh, the Falkland thing, the Falkland War had happened. There was a lot of unemployment. And then, you know, people were claiming unemployment or job seekers allowance. And and we, you could sign on for basically a year, but sort of call yourself a musician, and and the and the government didn't really, you know, bother that much, really, because it kind of got you off the books, so to speak, or the or the data base that they they didn't want to have big figures for the unemployment. So young people went, oh, actually, I could put myself down as a musician and be a band for a, a year, and that will be great. And so most bands that I liked seemed to have actually gone that way. And and at the same time, there was a there was a sort of network of, you know, benefit gigs that people could do. So Chumbawamba were definitely there and various other people like the Poison Girls and Crass and, and Blythe Power. So, yeah, so that was quite interesting that you did a, I think it was a single, a, a joint single with Jumbo Womble, weren't it? We Are the World. Yeah, it was, but I 
well, I don't think I was on that one. I, I was on the one uh, previous. They had some flexi discs. Um, we did a little tour, and um, yeah, Chumba One became like probably the last, um, the latter version of that group. Um, but uh, but pre, you know, previous to that whole that scene, I mean, it, it was hardcore punk uh, even earlier than that. So I jumped from say like it was, you know that cure thing we were talking about in the early 80s and then it just switched to hardcore punk <laughs> and i went you know it was going to the mat the mat the mabuhe here um it's kind of legendary club here um and then um you know just like the blue spiky here and um i had purple hair i mean it was just like really hardcore and it was really i was really not so um i, I wasn't too healthy <laughs> it was it was um it, it got pretty bad. It was really extreme, and um, I think that's why I, I somehow got fell into a different kind of crowd. And then it was this group, where you know, with the politics and the um, vegetarianism, um, it, it, it just because I needed to clean up. <laughs> and then it's so I, you know, I made a promise to you know someone that I I, I would be a vegetarian or whatever and so but you know it, it's it's weird because you're you're all like 17 year, years old at the time me and um or time period and um you know as i was saying my first final record was charred blossoms and that was full of like some similar um influence of the politics and except what what i emphasized was more of the indoctrination part of it the brainwashing part of it you know more of the mental mind stuff whereas the, the other stuff is more about you know um how how to um make the world a better place or you know like yeah. what's wrong with the world and things like that but i i'm attacking everything from from our own side of the world <laughs> our internal part of it um and so th that's why like i've been at Serenai, um so, you know, it, it partly I invented that because um, it's, you know, I was, um, because I'm finding that there's two parts. I mean, there's our internal stuff and then there's the external stuff. And, you know, the, the, the most um, politically smart people may have the worst, have a hard time with their relationships or you know, whatever, you know. So I'm, I saw some contradiction I saw like a lot of the youth, like idealism. Um, I fell into it. I mean, I just um, those were my friends at the time, and I that's what I um, I absorbed, you know. And, and Chart Blossoms was my only political album. Everything else wasn't. So it's funny that it, everything turned more industrial after that. So, um, but I found that um, so you know when I was with um, a state of mind or whatever, I also joined another group called Brain Rust. They were kind of uh, same people as uh, a group called Sleeping Dogs. Um, yes. Um, Dave King was the designer of the crass symbol. Um, so again, we all knew each other. It's the San Francisco scene. So we, we you know, kind of um, followed the same like heaviness and, and the, the idealism and the, um, insurmountable thing you can't get 
you, you just can't take over the system. <laughs> it's there, you know, <laughs> and um, we, you know, there were some pr- protesting um, back then. I you know, joined in sometimes. Um, and there was theater. It was a little bit, um, I mean, that's like really a later generation. I think everything like really changed after that period. I mean, two corporate takeovers and, and things. So, um, you know, before, you know, San Francisco was, um, you know, before that, the whole corporate takeover thing, I mean, there were, there were just cut, cut communal flats, you know, people were staying, you know, just, it was, um, you probably left over a little bit from yes. the 60s. I guess, well, I suppose, because uh, I've done a couple I mean, of, Oh, yes. I I was going to say, I've done a couple of interviews with various members who had been in this theatre group from the late 60s and early 70s called the Coquettes, who were based in San Francisco. So there was obviously quite an extreme performance art kind of element that uh, was there. And and obviously you had that world that was the the Grateful Dead and Hate Ashbury. So there must have been a bit like any scenes, you know, that you get in the same with the in the UK, where certain places will just attract a certain crowd, mm. even though these things do eventually change for various reasons. Because, I mean, you know, in the sort of eighties, you know, Leeds was a pretty in places was quite a cr- grim scene. But there, you know, you had all these kind of squats that people like Chumbawamba and various other pe- bands were living in and the same with London you know that that had a huge amount of squat land that you know bands you know a lot of musicians came from Australia who realized if they were going to do music they were going to have to come out of Australia and come to London or perhaps New York or whatever but they came you know the ones that came to London all lived in squats for a while so there was there was that kind of community that built up and there was you know a network of venues and people that that created quite an interesting, I suppose, kind of creative community for a very short time. I'm sure if you were living in it at the time, it wasn't that great, but people look back on it and think it's a kind of a, with rose-tinted sunglasses, as we always do. So did you feel with that period in the 80s that you were on a bit of a, a mission of uh, of what you were doing? Because that, that, I can remember that political world, you know, really well of, you know, animal rights, gay rights. Mm. There was kind of, you know, everything was quite fierce and and quite almost quite aggressive. I mean, there was quite a few people I suspect got quite damaged because of it because not everybody who became part of that political scene were that nice, really. There was quite, you know, you'd often get some quite heavy characters and and certain... And I've seen, and, and you know, scenes that kind of start out in a really nice, idealistic way, and then it gets quite kind of rough and quite grim quite quickly. You know, we we had something in the UK called the Peace Convoy where people were living on buses, which sounds quite nice, but then you'd get 10, 20 buses just appearing on, you know, people would just go on fields and just camp there or they'd go down streets and sort of make it almost like a bit of a ghetto, really. And, you know, there was always a lot of dogs and a lot of kind of, you know, people out of their head on drugs. So... It, it's it's kind of it is kind of it creates a certain amount of interest, but and creativity at times. But there is also, you know, people you know the people who survive know when to leave quite quickly because they know it's not going to end well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, if we're talking about the eighties, I mean, I was you know teenager to about like twenty something, so um, I can probably speak to to just because you know as a youth, but. Um, I mean, I was actually going to art school eventually, um, 
But I, I looked at, I mean, the whole thing's a, a process. I mean, things, um, it, it seemed to be like these multiple changes pretty quick. Uh, they, you know, from, from even the early 80s to the mid 80s to the late 80s, it just, you know, there's all these like little parts to it um, versus now it seems like, it's not, you know, we're going, I don't know where it's like, everything's like time warping right now. But um, uh, yeah, I, I did, I was the most productive actually in, in my eighties in terms, I mean, a lot of, uh, I mean, I developed, I think, well, even, even the nineties, but like, you know, I have like almost a hundred albums worth of stuff that's come from the eighties and nineties. I mean, so um, I, you know, being, be, you know, being able to survive through these decades, I mean, I learned from my early childhood because I moved a lot, you know, how to cope with the transition to new things. And that's how I, I rode the music industry out. Um, it's, it can be fickle or, you know, it's challenged um, with, you know, over your longevity. Um, you know, I've got this experimental pop category, I guess, but, um, you know, it's, I wove in and out of, of these um, time periods, um, even till now. Um, you, you know, it's um, I somehow developed a, 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 a some kind of permanent ability to um, you know um, so to I don't know in, endure changes or, or whatever. Um, so I I look at that time period as as much as I look at now. I mean, it's it's. You know, somehow I have some kind of work ethic that I've developed um, that kind of withstands, you know, all the um, the weather. You know. Yes. Well, I I can see your 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 sort of uh, discography during that period is quite extraordinary, and the ability to sort of uh, form and be part of new groups was also incredibly Im- impressive as well. So you you know, you obviously. As a, as a lot of people do in, in those kind of periods, was, was doing you know music and art kind of twenty four seven. You know, there was no sort of let up of of sort of doing a day job, particularly. I would guess. Um, yeah, I mean it's um, oh, oh yeah, so um, yeah, so I I built you know you have to build uh, backup multiple you know backup plans. Because um, especially with, as I said, you know, as a, it, it's not, it wasn't common as a female uh, artist or electronic music. I mean, in bands, it, it's, it was, I had to do it on my own, it, separately from the band. I mean, do my own thing. And I was an artist too, went to art school. So um, I just had simultaneous backup plans, retelling stories and restructuring where I had to. Um, and, you know, whatever work that came along with it. Um, so the end of the day, I mean, I, I had a time period, as I said, as a teen where, you know, I was, I, I don't know how long it could have lasted, but I, um, I promised, I specifically heard a voice. I heard my own voice tell myself that I wasn't, you know, like say done yet, or um, I had a lot more to do. Um, and for some reason it just clicked in that I was just nonstop after that. Um, I always carry, you know, recorders with me, video cameras. I, everything in life now is, is like, I, it's 
treasured, you know, every moment. Um, so uh, I, I have so much material, even even after these hundred albums, still yet to publish. I mean, I've got my diaries, and um, and I think those are that's like seven hundred pages edited. <laughs> and then I've got you know this video. Um, I'm trying to collect a lot more, you know, to to do this documentary. And um, I've got a couple actually um, type documentary types that I'll be um, releasing. Um, one of them is a little controversial, but I mean, because I went to the Hong Kong protests and, and recorded um, a lot of like scary police stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, so that was, I kind of deliberately went there just to see it. And it was pretty, as you know, I know what tear gas is like. Um, so I, I know, yeah, no matter what, because because yeah. just going, you know, without sounding like I'm obsessed with the '80s, but so yeah. you, you know that that period of punk and industrial bands kind of ran from '83 to sort of the early '90s, and then you you had quite a, a was it quite a change in your you know creative narrative from there on? Did you did you sort of move away from that kind of scene into something quite different and quite deliberately? Um, so the last sort of um, formation, a band formation, was probably like late '80s to '90s, and I was in a. It, by that point, it was in an industrial band where um, I think there were like six drummers and a Tesla coil player, and um, then I was com- pro- drum programming some clavier and a kind of traffic control tower structure. Um, and then there were, it was more theatrical, I guess. And then we're trying to get signed, (laughs) you know, like you have all these people and you're sending a cassette demo. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, what did, I guess record companies are like, you know, what do we have here? You know, like a circus. Um, so, you know, I was, um, that was probably you know, the last outfit I could say that I you know, yeah. was willing to be part of. But um, again, as I said, you know, you know, I was uh, simultaneously doing my own, own thing anyway. And, um, you know, is that, you know, I don't know which, you know, there, there's certain, um, there's so many things that happened between 80s and 90s anyway. And then, I, I, you know, because um, the one thing I noticed on that period, because, you know, as we went into the 80s, there'd been that kind of, for us, a lot of people, there'd been a bit of a post-punk world, you know, the punk had been and gone. And most scenes don't last that long before it kind of becomes a bit repetitive and, it's, you know, it loses its interest. And then, you know, there was a kind of, in the UK, there was definitely this indie scene that was bands like the Smiths that were particularly kind of, prominent you know in that alternative world and then after that you know ecstasy came along and then there was the dance and scene so you had you know bands like the stone roses and happy mondays and primal scream soup dragons and then grunge and then that next period from seattle came in so were you you know you mentioned the cure in that period did you were you kind of and susie were you also aware of that that those kind of musical scenes and how you know, each few years that it changes again. And then there's like from grunge you, in this country, we had Britpop, which suddenly everyone wanted to play guitars and sound a bit like Blur or Oasis. Were, 
Were you sort of picking up on that or were you much more sort of on the underground political scene? Yeah, I liked all of it. I mean, uh, yeah, I was aware. Um, again, I mean, actually, the cure didn't really last that long. It, it was only like the early, early in the very beginning. I think I think that I stopped probably, I mean, um, when it started to become too, um, like, accessible or something. Maybe the songs didn't, weren't that good for me, but um, I mean, the career didn't last that long for me. But um, no, then I started getting into the industrial. I mean, at that point, I was uh, into the Cabaret Voltaire. Um, even when they sounded a little bit more above ground, I, I was still into, I mean, the 92 period. Um, but the other stuff, yeah, I, I was uh, aware of it um, in terms of the um, the British pop. I uh, was, um, I, re- I, re- I loved all of it. I mean, Depeche Mode, and you know, I, I loved all of it. Um, but um, my own sound was always developing more with the technology, perhaps. Actually, in the after the 80, 80s and 90s, I started getting the sampling and, and started hearing all the other groups do the sampling. Um, I think that's the one thread that weaves the, this whole thing together in my evolution. But there's also the evolution of technology um, from the cassettes and the reel-to-reel, the DAT tapes and the, the gear. <clears throat> and, um, and, and that's the thread, actually, that, that you know, comes with me in, in every evolution um, in terms of the style. And, you know, that would somehow follow along as well. I mean, I, I could hear, you know, in my 90s, the, the, the snare drums like a lot, like, louder um and more digital and, and you know so I, I did kind of go along with what was going on um and uh but the, the 80s were really interesting it's it a very real developmental uh, period for a lot of people uh, a lot of groups because they actually had to adapt to the new technology as well because that's that was the sound um yeah. even the you know even jangly guitars you know uh even the type of um, reverbs or the type of things they use to create the, those janglies or the, the uh, um, M20, is it the M20 keyboard or something? And um, <clears throat> they, you know, they had to adapt some way to, 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 um, to be uh, relevant. Um, and then, you know, when, when you, you know, can't go any further, I guess you just kind of go on repeat, I guess. But yeah. So when, because, so because as, as the sort of, um, in the mid '90s, that was when you brought out Transfiguration, wasn't it? So, was that kind of a major landmark in your, you know, has that been a major landmark in your life, or do you not look at it quite like that? Well, that that's a really um, great question. Uh, the that album really, um, there's so many levels to it because it also collected like a hundred dreams that I actually wrote from the period where I was in. in this building I was living in, and this is really significant in my 80s. Um, there was a building in the city where my father stayed at the time in an office, and then I had to go to uh, art school uh, that was like right across the street, and so I was able to stay there. But um, there were these huge rooms. I would walk out, and there were there's you know on the same floor was a was a, an acting acting theater. Um, so that's where I kind of discovered um, the freedom of doing anything I want. <laughs> and then, so I would uh, use the reverbs and everything from the building to, to with the, my drum machines and stuff. But, um, yeah, so, um, um, 
anyway, so what were we talking about? <laughs> trans, yes, the, you know, the release of Transfiguration. Yeah. So I just wondered, yes, the sort of... Yeah, so, yeah, so that was, um, so I collected, I was really, that's the real experiment there was, you know, I was um, in really investigating uh, what you can do with, with uh, your creativity. And so, yeah, I was, would collect these dreams. So in Transfiguration, I, I you know, I, that was part of the booklet anyway, and I've created a story around it. But anyway, in terms of the, the music, um, I know in the, uh, I had left my band, like the last band I was in, the, the industrial one. Then I was, you know, I only, <laughs> this is how it sounds really weird, but I, I didn't really send too many demos out. Um, I, I can't remember more than like three times I've ever really sent a demo out to like a record company. Because I, I always thought I would meet people in, you know, back of clubs. And I, I met Trent Reznor in the back of the club. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, that led to some other stuff. But I, um, you know, I ended up staying at the Tate House at one point in the 90s. And I was, I was trying to, like, cater a little bit to, like, that that commercialized industrial, maybe. But, um, you know, I, I there was a point, of, you know, I was just... Um, really digging into the industry and um, I mean there's so many little stories but um, the influence of that I mean I met you know someone like now Rogers like someone introduced me and um, you know he listened to the demos in his apartment and you know I, I you know that transfiguration was probably one of the few that my vocals are really up front in that time period was probably I started really um, trying to put my vocals really out front because that was one of his um suggestions i guess and um so a couple things really influenced me musically on that um and again that would that came from the the cyber this new uh cyberpunk thing that was in the early 90s um so that was that but also as i said and i've always been about the um investigation of your uh your brain cerebral part so it Transfiguration was kind of about that, that. Um, you know, and, and yeah, that that one really. Um, I tried, you know, the most <laughs> to try to, um, you know, promote that. Um, and at the time, you know, you know, it was the '90s, and um, it was still grunge, I guess. And you know, around the world, it was it was that period, and so I was still promoting electronic back then um and so uh in america it was it's it's difficult to you know it was it's not probably until kind of recently that electronic was a little bit more um like it really blew you know um exploded in the last few years i guess yes this is true um, but so, right now i still feel a little naive about the industry i mean maybe um you know i just feel like um I, I don't know. I, I, I just, it's, it's, I don't have any, I mean, it doesn't feel bitter to me or whatever. Like I think if people have been in as long as I have, there's all kinds of things that like really affect you. But I think because I've always had this trajectory that's unlike anybody else, this is not the same story we've heard. Um, you know, I've, I'm still like naive to it, I think. But but as you know, because I spoke to quite a few artists, and they often get that point where they feel like I don't know, resentful. But you've never gone that route, have you? You've never, man. You, you've always 
kept positive and creative with it. You you didn't sort of think, I can't bear this anymore. You know, I don't really, you know, the the, the sort of business side or the just, the, you know, people, yeah, not being able to sort of navigate some of the more tricky bits. But, you know, I just wondered how you coped, you know, yourself because obviously going back all those years into the 80s you know that's that's a lot that's a lifetime of music isn't it it is uh it's interesting um as i said there's multiple i I don't say backup plans but it's like there's i do multiple things and i think that keeps me going in terms of like not getting hurt by one thing i mean it's like um, I mean, there was a period of time where I, I sold paintings uh, in, in Asia, um, and my work was uh, presented with, I mean, I had some connections, but I was connected to um, a, a gallery where, you know, I was in a convention uh, with, um, you know, the original Van Goghs and um, uh, Rembrandts and, like, originals, not prints. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of like, you know, I've met some really interesting people, but like, I, I, I just surround my life with life. So I, I'm, I'm always nourished by um, other things. So that's also what nourishes the, the, the music. Cause it's my, my work is about, it's funneled through a diary experience. So like memoir of sound, for example, like I've developed a system of productivity, which allows me to deal with both life and the industry at the same time. So you have to kind of play this other game, head trip, where you're, you know, you're okay in this wherever you are. And I, I also studied in the last whatever twenty years, <laughs> I, I I developed a way to study uh, meditation and stuff like that. Like um, I studied with swamis, and I, I was um, very pretty thoroughly <laughs> studied. And um, I'm I'm able to really be neutral. Like in the, I'm in a permanent state of ne- being neutral now. But um, I think the hardest part of my life was in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, I it was just like I don't know how I could have got past nine, age 19. But I think a lot of teens, um, musicians when they're teenagers, I mean, they're working through stuff, and it's only that time period that is uncertain it's really uncertain when you're a teen maybe because you just see this whole world ahead of you see this this you know what people do normally in like work and whatever and then it's just like so overwhelming that you you have to let go of your certain freedoms yes i know that's part of this idealism where you you have to keep um yourself somehow because it the system is meant to override your voice it's meant for that because it wants you to have a shared experience or it wants you to be neutralized and um and it wants you a certain way and you have to you kind of have to figure that out because you know if you don't you know probably by like mid-20s then you're going to either conform you know and then just have your kids and like, all right, I give up or, or, you know, then you go to the other end, like, forget, I'm not going to have any kids and you're just going to do what I'm going to do. You're just going to be a teenager forever. So somehow in, in somewhere, I mean, I mean, everybody does their own thing. That's fine. I mean, I'm not trying to judge or anything, but um, how I 
worked it out. I mean, I really worked it out because in, in not because, but like I worked it out through diaries because one thing that you have when you've got diaries is if you're confused about something and even music, musical diaries, even what you did before. And it's, I collect them all because when I, like, for example, it, you know, I grew up in, in, moving a lot and I, I, I lost those friends from the house before or whatever is nobody knows anything that nobody knows any memory you had before. So I decided very young, like age nine to keep diaries and it became music diaries because, and even songs part of it, because whatever you're confused about later, you go back and you figure out what happened. And then, then it's fine <laughs> because you're, you know, the mind is really interesting. Um, it, it's the most interesting thing to me because um, we don't, we have not tapped any, we have not tapped our potential because of this system that keeps you neutral and keeps your voice down. So like, for example, autistic savants, you know, they hold the secret to the human brain because they can do calculations and memorizations in seconds beyond the normal. My son is eight years old. He's identified as an autistic sovereign. So my point, and I, I, I totally, like, build that up. I don't let anyone lose what they are <laughs> because it's it's that system, again, where you forget yourself. And so... That's why Memoir of Sound <laughs> is a system that, like, I worked out that um, you, you it's living and you can go forward and you can go back in any time, in any point, and you never, you don't, you, you don't lose yourself. And it's right there. And I bet a lot of people have 100 albums in their closet, but they're only putting out, you know, an album because, you know, 12 albums or whatever, because it has to be that album that has to be perfect. But if you get all your roughs and you've got other stuff together, I bet they have a lot. And it's their history. And, and that's what I'm about is just your um, collect collections of who you are or your history. And it doesn't mean um, it's going to be 72 minutes or it's going to be six, 60 minutes. Um, you know, so, um, it is interesting because albums in the, in the eighties or whatever, or however, <laughs> or cassettes, you had to do it where it fit the, the time and, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's how it's presented. That's the, that's just the, um, the business or whatever, and, you know, it's the product yes. or whatever. So, um, and um, it's funny that you, that you and I, I love the you know those the big albums, you know with the, uh, the the little book that came with it or you know the artwork. I mean that's why it's come back because you know we miss that. Um, and it's 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 interesting. I mean the vinyl coming back. Um, yes. Well, yeah, I know because actually the way, you know, without just sounding like one of those old people reminiscing, but you know there was a, you'd put the record on on you know side one and you would sit there and what listen to the whole side and then I remember you know 
it would, it would take a few listens to sort of start to get to know it and then it was a few songs you didn't really like so sometimes you'd get up and try and get the stylus and go over that track but sometimes you couldn't be bothered but then it was another moment where you flicked it over and did side two and it was like oh my god am I going to like this record you know because often and in a lot of cases you didn't get a chance to listen or hear the record before you bought it, which felt like a huge investment, actually. It was kind of like... And sometimes you just read an amazing review and thought, God, I must try and get this record, and there's no chance of listening to it particularly beforehand, so I, I'm going to take a punt for £2.99p or £3.99p. And, yeah, you know, and if it was something you hated, you still played it because you thought, well, I've invested all this money <laughs> in it. So it was, it was a very different time. So would you just say then that you were a particularly angsty person in the 80s, an angry huh. young person? Oh, probably. <laughs> I would, yeah, I mean, I would say that early, early. I mean, where you're, the t uh, you know, a real teen, difficult teen. I mean, I was uh, probably like 15, 16 was probably the most, start of the most difficult. Um, pre previous to that, I, I would say when I was 12, I mean, I was... Um, starting to feel that um, sense of overwhelm or whatever, but but by mid-teen, I was, um, yeah, I was, you know, pre before the, you know, previous to the the, the peace punk stuff, um, it was, yeah, it was really hard. It was a hardcore punk. <laughs> it was a really, like, literally just you know, spikes, leathered stage diving, um, you know, and I... I Back then, you know, in, in school, uh, I guess there was one section that became a punk uh, punk uh, section or something. But, um, yeah, I had the purple hair, and um, I don't think I was quite suspended. I mean, nowadays, if you have purple hair, it's, like, normal. I mean, the teachers have it. But um, but back then, I mean, you, especially in a suburb in the U.S., you know, like far corner of planet, and you're um, just... Out, it's an outcast thing, and uh, but I, I didn't care. I mean, I was my friends became like I went to the city to go to some shows, and I think I saw my first punk hardcore punk show, which was Crucifix. Um, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> like people were slam dancing. Um, then I eventually went to like bigger shows. I, I just I have like a whole file of flyers that I kept of all the shows. That I went to the, the, all the punk shows, um, you know, all the um, Black Flag, Flipper, Dead Kennedys, or whatever. I I have them all. I have almost all the shows that I went to. Yes. So, did um, you have you been tempted? Because one thing that's always tricky, and but a lot of artists, musicians, artists, kind of try to do as they get a little bit older, is archive all their material and work. I just wondered if you've managed to. Do that because you've obviously collected an awful lot of stuff, but a lot of your material is quite hard to get hold of, isn't it? Some of, the, especially the band stuff. Oh, you know, uh, good question because um, you know only um, like maybe like uh, recently, um, ninety percent of it was not available. I mean, I it, it it's been uh, just you know at uh, shoved away in a shelf for like many years and. It wasn't available. That's true, um, and it wasn't until a certain point where you know somebody gave me a, a, 
actually gave me a computer uh, in an editing system because they needed some work done. Because um, I also um, uh, do engineering work for people. And um, this one group took so long to finish their next album that I started remastering my cassettes. <laughs> and then, um, then it, that, that's how kind of that this um, archive started because I just had had all these uh, this mastering software and I, that's how I, I archived it. But um, for yeah, for a long time it wasn't available, um, and all of a sudden there's a hundred albums like overnight. <laughs> yes. Funny, but are you get, um, are you going to sort of you know because with the bands that's probably a bit different, but again that material is quite hard to get a hold of, like the charred blossoms and treason and yeah. yeah so um yeah, so there was a six LP box set released by Dark Entries. Uh, I, I don't know if you know about that or have that. No. Um, oh, there's a yeah, there's a vinyl uh, set box um, out in recent couple of years um and it's a, there's a whole like booklet and um there are there's a, a seven inch in there uh, covers of um like a gang of four um that i did in, li- in the living room and so yeah that's successful now the uh basically they archived uh, on albums um the releases of the 80s and but in terms of the uh, other stuff, like the other bands, it's archived on my digital uh, website, Memoir of Sound. That's uh, fantastic. I didn't, yes, I just realised it's all here, isn't it? Dark entries. Yeah, so they put that out. And then I think Cherry Red had some, a compilation that I got on. Uh, so it's kind of, um, and, and I, I think I'm in a couple books that I just discovered. Um it, and then it's interesting, this, um, I've kind of hit the art and technology circuit in terms of live. Um, in the last year, I, I've, I've done some festivals, um, and, and they're, they're really specialized, like New Tech and Recombinant, and did some mini tours in San Francisco, LA, New York. Um, and I was like slated for some other things, but of course this closure thing happened. Um, and I, actually the closure thing actually works for me because it reminds me of the sort of permanent midnight that um you're you know unlimited possibilities you know you're kind of removed from the latches of the system and so so to speak and you know it kind of works for me but um uh yeah so you know the live thing is just evolved really exploded in the last year um and so it's kind of interesting where i came from these bands to um really developing a huge uh, archive of uh, material and figure out how to really disseminate it like out in pieces again. Um, and um, so, you know, there's, there's more to come for sure. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's archived there, but I think I have to section it out a bit because yes. it's like, like a ton of, it's like an avalanche, you know, <laughs> That is very tricky. I did. What was the on the you mentioned Cherry Red? I know they're very good at bringing out these compilations. I mean, do um yes. What band was that with or combination? Um, Cherry Red 
compilation called the Third Third Mind Principle. Third Mind Principle. <laughs> I have to look at it. But it's um, it's a collection of uh, American artists, early uh, uh, electronic from uh, from Amer American artists uh, from the early eighties. Right. Um, no further than eighty four, I think. Yes. There's just a bunch of. Well, it's it, yes, and you must be, you know, it must be quite nice, sort of seeing people like Cherry Red, putting these compilations together and thinking, "My God, I'm on it. This is good." <laughs> yeah, um, it's interesting. Like just this return of the eighties. It's this is this is a weird, definitely a weird like time warp, and I kind of got um, pulled out of the woodwork from just because of that. But um, suddenly, there's just you know anyone from the 80s or whatever are getting pulled out. Um, I've met a few artists of, as well that had the same, that same story, you know, they were kind of pulled out to the 80s. Um, I, it's, it's just really interesting how, just at this point. I mean, it's so many years later. I, I just tell people, you know, what took people so long? <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, I know. It's, it is interesting, isn't it? It's like... But I sort of realized just, you know, that that it often takes sometimes a few decades for us to sometimes look back and think, actually, that was quite interesting. Because at the time, you know, like as an example with the world that is indie pop, you know, I just thought, oh, yeah, this is fun. And I enjoyed it. And it all meant huge amounts to me. But then, you know, life continues on and you slightly sort of forget about it a bit. But then going back and listening to some of it and then listening to a lot of stuff that I didn't listen to the first time, I thought, actually, this, this it's much better than I can remember. You know, sometimes you go back and think, oh, yeah. mm, you know, like if, if you watch one of your classic, you know, a classic film that you loved, and sometimes you go back and watch it and you think, God, that's a bit rubbish, really. I'm really disappointed. I shouldn't have done that. But a lot of the music I go back to and think, actually, that's really, in, you know, that's been inter interesting. So I kind of can see why Cherry Red have suddenly thought, actually, some of this is really brilliant. Let's archive it. Plus, there's more interest now. It's actually called Third Noise Principle. So that that's the one. Third Noise. I'm, third Noise Principle. Yes. And what's your, and what's your, what, what do you call yourself on that one? Sarah and I. Right. Got it. There you go. Max Pale Red. Yeah. I've got here. Yes, blimey, I'm right. So look, just lastly, because I mean, it's been, you've done an amazing amount of work. Um, what would you say then to an 18-year-old self that was starting out? If you could have said something to yourself back in those late teen years when you were feeling a little bit angsty, what, what would you sort of just sort of thought, look, I've got some wisdom. Just remember, this is something that I'd recommend. What would it be? Hmm. Um, probably, you know, when you're in too thick, um, you're not able to, I mean, as that, at that age and that ability to, um, manage, um, your emotions or thoughts or whatever, um, to have the bigger perspective somehow, I guess. And at that time you can't, it's too difficult because you're, I mean, at any level, whatever age it's you're always in it it's just a, a matter of um i guess you have to um 
I'm hesitant to say like step out of it because you can't um, at the time. But if I were to say anything, because um, I don't, I, I kind of worked out at the time, so it's hard to say anything to myself at 18. But um, just um, to, um, I think I did though. I, I I worked it out where I archived it, and that's that's how I see it today. So, um, in fact, I needed I need to have a conversation to myself from when I was eighteen to say I did what I was supposed to do. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's <laughs> the other way around. Yes, I have to what I did. That's why we're going back to the eighties because we there's something there that was really authentic and, and we want to go back and, and, you know, acknowledge something there. And that's why we're going back. If it wasn't anything there, we wouldn't care. So I think we want some, and you're right that when you go back and you listen, God, that was, that was really great. I mean, we, we cher- we love it even more. So I have actually listened to my older stuff. Like sometimes I'll create stuff and I won't listen to it for like years, but I have re- recently like re listened to my eighties and I, I really, can feel comfortable in re-listening to that and and i really i think you know and i want to redo some because there were there were like the quality wasn't as great because just like whatever cassette but i want to redo some of them so i am listening to who i was back then to inform who i am now yeah <laughs> so <laughs> which is good because yeah. um because when you see your you know photographs of you, that younger self and there was a really amazing one that someone put up a couple of days ago on Instagram. And, um, I mean, yes, so much attitude. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm getting more information when I, as I said, when I catalog, I go back and I learn something new. Because in a way you get, lo- you kind of, I mean, the longer you're alive, you have more stuff on your plate and then it overrides stuff. You forget stuff. And that sometimes, like you, you just want to go back, and which we are, and and then retrace it a bit, and um, and it it just it's, it heals you somehow, and then um, and then you enjoy it that much better, because um, it's not just yearning for youth or anything like that. It's more, um, it just um, there's a process that was um, was kind of. unhindered or you know you're not trying to be anything and so um i like that that kind of attitude and that energy but hopefully while i do something new now it's coming from that purity and um it's not trying to be something it's just it's keeping it pure and that's how you you create something that people haven't heard or it's like original however i mean or or taking things that are, are new now like the how great technology has evolved like i'm doing wire i'm trying to look into wireless modular or like do something that's you know um very advanced but taking the idea of purity to to move ahead and not and because we're in this weird transition i think you have to step back before you move forward i think but as i'm always going forward you know i'm keeping that attitude but more like controlled i guess because you have like wisdom and um but but keep it going 
<laughs> yes. And did you, and just kind of lastly, I mean, because obviously you're part of the peace punk period, um, you know, movement and, you know, that community. I mean, did you keep in touch with many of the people or not keep, no, not keep in touch because often you then all go your separate ways, but have you occasionally sort of met up or kind of reconnected with any previous bandmates to sort of just sort of discuss the kind of a bit of like going through a bit of a process to sort of try to make sense of some of the things that happened to slight, you know, to give it a bit of a, yeah, just to be at peace with some of it. Because like, as you were talking about it, it's, and having sort of had certain experiences myself, you kind of, you know, there's some things you really regret from that period, just kind of attitudes about life you feel a bit like I wish I had a bit like I think you mentioned and not being quite so intense I'm not sure if you did but I don't want to put words into your mouth but I just remember taking everything so seriously and being so uptight all the time it was a bit tricky yeah for sure um yeah so it's something you have to work out and so um yeah there's two levels to um your question because there's one you know there's personal friends that you've known like that's in that period that peaceful period and we you know i think um i have a, a, one of my oldest friends is uh you know we we talk about those days sure i mean that's that's healing you know when you have your personal friends from back then and then there's also the 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 bands or the um more professional level where you know they've evolved over the years and and i've reconnected to um uh, some people and you know that's how i got into one festival the recombinant um there's this guy not not human who um uh, was in that band with the industrial band um so uh and everybody keeps going so um we we just naturally know what happened <laughs> um and then you know because we all were productive people were artists so we we just we talk about the present but um the best way, I think, you know, to to go over that the difficult time periods is just with your personal friends. And um, I think the more difficult the, the teens, the early 80s, I don't think I'm in touch with too many. It was just too, um, I don't want to say destructive, but it, it's um, you don't have to go back, maybe. Um, and... Um, Again, it's like your own process. So, so, um, and it helps to um, to be in, get in touch with certain people. Sure. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, look, this has been amazing. Well, thank you ever so much yeah. for this. Um, it's been amazing. Like I said, it's been boggling actually. But yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's great to. Uh, but it's been it's good because I'm I'm sort of getting to that bit of um, obsession where you think, God, you, you, it's good to document as, as sort of these bits and pieces yeah. and these little extra avenues I suppose that's the thing that I've quite enjoyed from doing the project is that you start to you know find extra things that that kind of makes it even more interesting because a simple narrative of it you know you know it's like ABC but then you think there's these other things that happened that gives it another layer of complexity and I suppose I find it quite interesting you know and um, yeah it's been brilliant so thank you ever so much thank you so much I've really enjoyed it yeah and and when I do it I'll send you a link and then you can always add it and um, or have it <laughs> and, uh, that, and use it if you want but that'll be brilliant well thank you ever so much Caroline yeah thank you so much 
Okay, then. Take care. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the conversation with Caroline Falk. Um, Yes, F-O-K, if you want to know. Yes, if you go to the website, which is carolinefalk.com, you'll find more information. And um, yes, just Google away. But it's fascinating all the same. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do at C86show. It's all good. Um, And also all these shows have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Anyway, stay safe. Have a great week.